Letter ten of Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter ten. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Friday night, March twenty fourth. I have a most provoking letter from my sister. I might have supposed she would resent the contempt she brought upon herself in my chamber. Her conduct surely can only be accounted for by the rage instigated by a supposed rivalry. To Miss Clarissa Harlowe, I am to tell you that your mother has begged you off for the morrow, but that you have effectually done your business with her, as well as with everybody else. In your proposals and letter to your brother you have shewn yourself so silly and so wise, so young and so old, so gentle and so obstinate, so meek and so violent, that never was there so mixed a character. We all know of whom you have borrowed this new spirit, and yet the seeds of it must be in your heart, or it could not all at once shew itself so rampant. It would be doing Mr. Solmes a spite to wish him such a shy, unshy girl. Another of your contradictory qualities. I leave you to make out what I mean by it. Here, miss, your mother will not let you remain. She cannot have any peace of mind while such a rebel of a child is so near her. Your Aunt Harvey will not take a charge which all the family put together cannot manage. Your Uncle Harlow will not see you at his house, till you are married. So, thanks to your own stubbornness, you have nobody that will receive you but your Uncle Antony. Thither you must go in a very few days, and when there your brother will settle with you in my presence all that relates to your modest challenge, for it is accepted, I assure you. Dr. Lewin will possibly be there, since you make choice of him. Another gentleman likewise, were it but to convince you, that he is another sort of man than you have taken him to be. Your two uncles will possibly be there too, to see that the poor, weak, and defenceless sister has fair play. So you see, miss, what company your smart challenge will draw together. Prepare for the day. You'll soon be called upon. Adieu, Mamma Norton, sweet child. Arabella Harlow. I transcribed this letter, and sent it to my mother with these lines. A very few words, my ever-honoured Mamma. If my sister wrote the enclosed by my father's direction or yours, I must submit to the usage she gave me in it, with this only observation, that it is short of the personal treatment I have received from her. If it be of her own head, why then, madam, but I knew that when I was banished from your presence. Yet till I know if she has or has not authority for this usage, I will only write further that I am your very unhappy child, Clarissa Harlowe. This answer I received in an open slip of paper, but it was wet in one place. I kissed the place, for I am sure it was blistered, as I may say, by a mother's tear. She must, I hope she must, have written it reluctantly. To apply for protection where authority is defied is bold. Your sister, who would not in your circumstances have been guilty of your perverseness, may allowably be angry at you for it. However, we have told her to moderate her zeal for our insulted authority. See if you can deserve another behaviour than that you complain of which cannot, however, be so grievous to you as the cause of it is to your more unhappy mother. How often must I forbid you any address to me? Give me, my dearest Miss Howe, your opinion what I can, what I ought to do, not what you would do, pushed as I am pushed, in resentment or passion, since so instigated you tell me that you should have been with somebody before now, and steps taken in passion hardly ever fail of giving cause for repentance. But acquaint me with what you think cool judgment, and after reflection, whatever were to be the event, will justify. I doubt not your sympathising love, but yet you cannot possibly feel indignity and persecution so very sensibly as the immediate sufferer feels them, are fitter therefore to advise me than I am myself. 
I will here rest my cause. Have I or have I not suffered or borne enough? And if they will still persevere, if that strange persister against an antipathy so strongly avowed will still persist, say, what can I do? What course pursue? Shall I fly to London, and endeavour to hide myself from Lovelace, as well as from all my own relations, till my cousin Morden arrives? Or shall I embark for Leghorn in my way to my cousin? Yet my sex, my youth, considered, how full of danger is this last measure! And may not my cousin be set out for England while I am getting thither? What can I do? Tell me, tell me, my dearest Miss Howe, for I dare not trust myself. Tell me what I can do. Eleven o'clock at night. I have been forced to try to compose my angry passions at my harpsichord, having first shut close my doors and windows, that I might not be heard below. As I was closing the shutters of the windows, the distant hooting of the bird of Minerva, as from the often visited wood-house, gave the subject in that charming ode to wisdom, which does honour to our sex as it was written by one of it. I made an essay a week ago, to set the three last stanzas of it, as not unsuitable to my unhappy situation. And after I had re-perused the ode, those were my lesson, and I am sure, in the solemn address they contain to the all-wise and all-powerful deity, my heart went with my fingers. I enclose the ode and my effort with it. The subject is solemn, my circumstances are affecting, and I flatter myself that I have not been quite unhappy in the performance. If it obtain your approbation, I shall be out of doubt, and should be still more assured, could I hear it tried by your voice and finger. Ode to Wisdom by a Lady The solitary bird of night, through thick shades, now wings his flight, and quits his time-shook tower, where sheltered from the blaze of day, in philosophic gloom he lay, beneath his ivy bower. With joy I hear the solemn sound, which midnight echoes waft around, and sighing gales repeat. Favourite of palace, I attend, and faithful to thy summons bend, at wisdom's awful seat. She loves the cool, the silent eve, where no false shows of life deceive, beneath the lunar ray. Here folly drops each vain disguise, nor sport her gaily coloured dyes, as in the beam of day. O Pallas, queen of every art, that glads the sense and mends the heart, blessed source of purer joys, in every form of beauty bright, that captivates the mental sight with pleasure and surprise. To thy unspotted shrine I bow, attend thy modest suppliant's vow, that breathes no wild desires, but taught by thy unerring rules, to shun the fruitless wish of fools, to nobler views aspires. Not fortune's gem, ambition's plume, nor Cytherea's fading bloom, be objects of my prayer. Let avarice, vanity, and pride, those envied glittering toys divide, the dull rewards of care. To me thy better gifts impart, each moral beauty of the heart, by studious thought refined, for wealth the smile of glad content, for power its amplest best extent, and empire o'er my mind. When fortune drops her gay parade, When pleasure's transient roses fade, And wither in the tomb, Unchanged is thy immortal prize, Thy ever-verdant laurels rise In undecaying bloom. By thee protected I defy The coxcomb's sneer, The stupid lie of ignorance and spite, Alike contemn the leaden fool, And all the pointed ridicule Of undiscerning wit. From envy, hurry, noise, and strife, the dull impertinence of life, in thy retreat I rest, pursue thee to the peaceful groves, where Plato's sacred spirit roves, in all thy beauties dressed. 
He bade Elissa's tuneful stream convey thy philosophic theme of perfect, fair, and good. Attentive Athens caught the sound, and all her listening sons around, in awful silence, stood. Reclaimed her wild, licentious youth, confessed the potent voice of truth, and felt its just control. The passion ceased their loud alarms, and virtue's soft, persuasive charms o'er all their senses stole. Thy breath inspires the poet's song, the patriot's free, unbiased tongue, the hero's generous strife. Thine are retirement's silent joys, and all the sweet engaging ties of still domestic life. No more to fabled names confined, to thee supreme all-perfect mind, my thought direct their flight. Wisdom's thy gift, and all her force, from thee derived, eternal source of intellectual light. O send her sure, her steady ray, to regulate my doubtful way, through life's perplexing road, the miss of error to control, and through its gloom direct my soul, to happiness and good. Beneath her clear discerning eye, the visionary shadows fly, of folly's painted show. She sees through every fair disguise, that all but virtue's solid joys, is vanity and woe. End of letter 10